We, the jury in the above entitled case, find the defendant not guilty of conspiracy as charged in count one of the indictment, dated June 13th, 2005, foreperson number 80. Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where every week we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows and movies. My name is Tim Malloy. With me, as always, is my beautiful wife and co-host, Deirdre McCarrick. Hi. Hello. Should I not say wife and co-host or beautiful wife and co-host or what should I, what should I do? You could just say co-host. Okay. All right. One has nothing to do with the other. That's true. There's no nepotism at work here. None. 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 Although I am allowed to keep I am this a, job. I am a qualified podcast host. I, no one said otherwise. I've got the CV to prove it. <laughs> um, welcome. This week's episode, we thought we would talk about Michael Jackson and the Michael Jackson trial of 2005 because I covered it as a reporter. It's obviously going to be kind of a heavy episode. Probably, I would guess. I don't think it could be heavier than the HBO Right. Series, though. So before we get into that, why don't we talk about the nice, lighthearted thing that we just did? We just went to the world premiere of Dumbo. What did you think? I loved it. I also loved it. I give it two big thumbs up. Me too. It was adorable. Dumbo is the cutest thing that's ever lived. And I'm not a fan of CGI. I usually hate it. And I thought... It was incredibly well done, and I thought the performances were great. I thought it had a fantastical element. It made me feel like a little kid. I loved it. My favorite part of it, and this isn't a big spoiler, but about halfway through, they introduced this place called Dreamland, which feels like it's a Disney movie, but it feels like they're taking some sort of satirical swipes at Disneyland, and this place that seems like it's just built on happiness and joy actually turns out to be built on pain and exploitation. And that has nothing to do with this episode, which is about the activities of Michael Jackson at Neverland Ranch. Right. Totally unrelated. Totally unrelated. I hope we don't create some kind of like association in people's minds, Tim. Between Dreamland. Or between Dumbo and Michael Jackson's. It's sad because as people start to reevaluate Michael Jackson, there's so many happy things that are associated with Michael Jackson, including E.T., including um, Captain EO, Disneyland, Pepsi. There's just so many things that Michael Jackson, uh, I hesitate to use the word touched. (laughs) So with all the attention that Michael Jackson has gotten lately, it started to seem very strange to me and kind of surprising I think it's weird that no one has made a People versus O.J. Simpson-style story about the Michael Jackson trial in 2005, where he was accused of molesting a boy, plying him and his brother with alcohol, and conspiring to keep the family captive at Neverland Ranch. Um, a very strange period that took up about six months of my life and many other people's lives as we tried to make sense of what exactly happened. Yeah, I mean, I think... People talk about Michael Jackson and molestation. They almost talk about it in platitudes. But that trial, the 2005 trial, it deserves, it's worthy of its own exploration. Some people have these accusations that are kind of hanging in limbo. They've never been prosecuted, so they'll never be completely legally proven, but they'll also never be completely Mm -hmm. disproven. Um, Michael Jackson is a guy who actually did have his day in court and 
won. He won? He went to trial? I mean, for people who are, like, to jog your memory, this was the trial where he was showing up to court almost late every single time if he showed up, and he was wearing silk pajamas. Constantly wearing weird outfits. Um, Chris Rock made the joke, you can't show up in court dressed like Captain Crunch, but he repeatedly did. So, let's talk about it. Michael Jackson has been so much in the news lately because of the Leaving Neverland documentary, which is very good by Dan Reed, and which we highly recommend that everybody watch. It's the story of Wade Robson and James Safechuck, two young men who say that they were molested by Michael Jackson over a long period of years, starting when they were very young, and their efforts to cover it up for him and at his behest. The story of how Michael Jackson exploited them and their families, in their view, um, and watching it, it's very difficult not to believe them. I agree. And it's it's really interesting. I, and I've said this to you before. What I thought was interesting about the documentary was that um, stylistically, it's very austere. It's very simple. Um, there's some beautiful imagery. But it's almost the opposite of Michael Jackson's, you know, flash and, you know, gaudiness, if you will, and just over-the-top uh Neverland Ranch-esque, you know, um, style. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition, I think, in that way. Yeah, it's not at all sensational. And the reason Michael Jackson was able to do things like say, hey, can I just borrow your 7-year-old or your 10-year-old to hang out with me for a week? And parents would would go for it, is that he had such mystique and magic and mystery around him um, that was sort sort of bedazzling and bedeviling. And... And I this mean, strips that away. Yeah. And I mean, there's two things I think, and we'll just quickly touch on this because we yeah. can't help it, um, that I, always, I, I found really interesting. It's how many, there was this narrative that was built, and I would love to know where this came from around like, oh, Michael Jackson didn't have a childhood. Therefore, as a 30-something-year-old man, he behaves as a child and he wants to hang out with children. And I've never heard anybody else get away with that. Right. And yet that narrative was very much entrenched in kind of, you know, these parents' like consciousness and even like societal consciousness. Like we all were like, oh, he didn't have a childhood. So therefore he behaves and acts like a child and he gets, he, he got a free pass. Yeah. And we were talking about like when you strip away the music and what a great dancer he is and what a fashion plate he is and how dynamic he is in so many ways, you just think of the weirdness of like, if you or I were to go to one of our friends and say, hey, can we hang out with your child and not you for a long period of time? Just how insane that would sound. Totally. And I mean, I think we agreed we would do it if we were a paid babysitter. Right. The only the only reason it makes sense to tolerate other people's children is because they are... <laughs> Compensating you. Or you're doing them a favor because you're a very good friend. Right. It's like their 20th anniversary. Right. Then maybe not even then. Probably only a 25th anniversary. If it was their 20th anniversary, they probably had that kid well into their marriage also. But that's besides the point. We don't have any kids. Is that clear? Is that obvious? <laughs> We don't, uh, we don't enjoy we children. We don't uh, understand what we're talking about here. <laughs> children are not to be uh, enjoyed. They're to be tolerated and preferably uh, nowhere near you. Um, yeah. So it's, it seems surprising to me somewhat that there's never been a People versus OJ style um, 
story on this on the trial of Michael Jackson, the molestation trial of Michael Jackson in 2005, because it certainly has all of the elements that the people versus O.J. Simpson has. And obviously the big reason that people don't want to think about it is because it involves horrible, horrible accusations. But then again, so did the people versus O.J. Simpson. I mean, that was a double homicide. Yeah, and I mean, I think why, uh, you know, going back to the new structure for Shoot This Now, Yeah. Um, you know, we start with who or what we're talking about and why, which I think you're going to set for us. Um, and then we'll jump into kind of maybe highlighting some key scenes or some key moments mm-hmm. before d- jumping into development. Like, what would this look like as a, a film or a, a TV program and who might be involved? Mm-hmm. So just sharing that back out at you before we jump in more. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say, I think what's interesting today is how uniquely positioned you are to tell the story because you seriously lived in San, Santa Maria yeah, the for way, six months. The way right? you and I met is yeah. we met at a bar in New York and I told you that I was about to disappear for like six months to go cover the Michael Jackson trial. And the first email you ever sent me was like, I hope you moon dance across the judge's bench. Moonwalk. I, I would have said moonwalk. I would have gotten that much right. Let me just start that whole thing over. Can you describe uh, Santa Maria for us a little bit and like the setting? Because I think people sometimes think, oh, this was in Los Angeles or this was in California. I mean, Santa Maria is kind of an isolated place, right? Like there's not a lot, not a lot happening there as far as I'm aware. Okay. I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is a paradise Okay. Um, on the central coast of California. We've been there. It's one of the first places, when we started dating, it's one of the first places I took mm-hmm. you. Um, absolutely gorgeous, like, Mediterranean-type town. Yep. So we thought the trial was going to be there. So I volunteered, like, hey, I went to college in Santa Barbara. I know all the cops up there. Oh, wow. I know the DA up there. I know everybody. I'm totally plugged in. You guys should send me to sign up to cover that trial. Yeah. And <laughs> my bosses at AP were like, all right, we'll give you a shot at that. I didn't know any of those people. I had no experience with the cops. I knew nothing. I just wanted to go hang out in Santa Barbara all the time yeah. to cover the trial. Then they moved it 70 miles north to northern Santa Barbara County, closer to Neverland, which is Omaha in the middle of California. It's like literally a cow town. Like it's very big on tri-tip is the big thing, is what it's known for. That's has, like a cut of meat? Yeah, it has great steaks, hmm. um, great meat. I was like basically a vegan at this point so it's like i couldn't have been in a more unenjoyable place do you know how you know someone's vegan they'll tell you yeah (laughs) um is it like is it do people wear like cowboy hats yeah and wrangler jeans people wear cowboy hats um people will like live in santa maria and have agricultural jobs um people who work for michael jackson tended to live in santa maria because it was the least expensive town up there um, I mean, what was the, what did you guys do at night? Like all these reporters there, you're all kind of living out of hotels and motels, Airbnbs or vacation rentals at the time. Yeah. They didn't What have, did you guys do at night? We didn't have Airbnbs, but, um, I, I lived in a place like behind somebody's house. I lived in like a little guest house Yeah. for like a thousand bucks a month, which was like a crazy amount of money for that. Um, that I'm sure it, you know, tripled in price because of the Michael Jackson trial. It was nice, but it was just like a real suburban. Like where did you go out to dinner? Um, Everybody would go out to dinner at either the hotel or at um, the Hitching Post. The Hitching Post was like a total luxury, and that's the that's the restaurant where that is featured in the movie Sideways. 
Oh, cool. Um, and it's a really good restaurant. So people would go there as like a treat. You said the hotel. What's that hotel? Uh, the Santa Maria Inn, which is the allegedly haunted hotel where people spent a lot of time. Um, there was also, I guess, a holiday and then people would stay at sometimes. And was there like a Chili's or a TGI, Fri- TGI Fridays or anything like that? I don't really remember a lot of chain restaurants, but if you wanted to get sushi, which yeah. was another like real treat, you would drive up to um, Pismo Beach and get pretty good sushi. Was there a bowling alley? No. If there'd been a bowling alley, I would have been there all the time. I mean, there might have been, but I don't remember there being one. Was there like an ice cream shop? I don't ever remember getting ice cream the whole time we were there. I remember just drinking a lot. This was before I quit drinking. The two places, there was a bar called Maverick's, which was like the cowboy bar. And Maverick's had like a square dance night, which is kind of cool, but there was nobody to dance with. And there was also a mechanical bull, and the mechanical bull provided like hours and hours and hours of entertainment. And you would see like reporters from Britain who would get really good on the mechanical bull because there was just nothing else to do. Like, I think I made you go on a mechanical bull ride soon after we were dating, and that's because I'd gotten pretty decent at mechanical bull riding from covering the Michael Jackson trial. You've gone on many mechanical yeah, bull rides. Yeah, I like, I like bull riding. Like, any opportunity you get, you're like, oh, m- I didn't realize this place had a mechanical bull. <laughs> I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, you went on one, was it in Philadelphia? Yeah. Like, we just, quote unquote, stumbled upon it. Yeah, Lo and I mean, behold. Yeah. And you were on for like eight minutes. Eight minutes is a long time. I, I wish. Eight, you were like, my battery died on my phone. I was trying to videotape you. As we know from the Luke Perry film, God Rest His oh, Soul. I can't talk about him. I know. Eight seconds I think on we've a bowl. cast him on this show and stuff. I love him. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. But eight seconds on a bowl is a long time. Granted, those are real bowls, and this is a... Pretend bowl. I was. I didn't say eight seconds. I said eight minutes. Yeah, it's different to do a mechanic anyway. There was also. So you were in Santa Maria. There was also a karaoke place. Eating tri tip. No, not eating tri tip. Not eating tri tip. Riding mechanical bulls. Not going to bowling alleys. And basically, like tipping your cowboy hat. Did you tip tip cows? Did anyone tip cows? No, and I never wore a cowboy hat. Um. Really good Kmart. Really good grocery stores. So it's just Neverland Ranch and. Michael Jackson and his epaulets would stand out even more. You couldn't imagine a place less like Michael Jackson than Santa Maria. It was actually like the strangest place he could have lived. Cool. Who and why now? Well, Michael Jackson is a former child star raised with his brothers and sisters in Gary, Indiana, who was beaten into being very talented by his abusive father, Joe Jackson, um, who became basically the biggest pop star in the entire world. And why now? Um, Because there have been some stories about him lately, alleging that everything most people believed about Michael Jackson was totally wrong, and that rather than being a childlike um, musical genius, he was a childlike musical genius who was also a serial predator who carefully groomed, and I hate that word, um, children and their family to um, sexually exploit them horribly yeah. over a long period of time. So that's why now. Yeah, and I, I mean, one last thing about uh, the documentary that I think really does an excellent job of is it does talk a lot about grooming of the families. Like, yeah. It's not so much just that you know he, he targeted these children. It's like he really groomed the families. Yeah. He, got, he, got, he, built, he instilled trust in them. He uh, lavished them. Yeah. He really like swept them up too. So 
and the way it tears that family apart and the way their family dynamic yeah. um, is destroyed and there's a lot of blame for the mothers in particular um, and how everyone is trying to work that out and get back to what they had before. So that's the who and the why. What's the next segment? What aspect of this story do you think is really interesting and what are the key moments in Michael Jackson's life or trial or career that you think maybe haven't been told before or could be told in a unique way? This is the people V.O.J. Simpson meets Ace in the Hole. And I know you know what the first thing is and the second thing, you're probably like, why are you bringing up some weird old stuff? Uh, Ace in the Hole is a 1951 Kirk Douglas movie where he plays a reporter who stumbles upon a man who's trapped in a cave-in. And he deliberately delays the rescue effort for almost a week in order to keep writing stories about it and feeding the public's appetite for yellow journalism. Um, and I felt sometimes, while covering the Michael Jackson case, uh, like we were all the characters in Ace in the Hole. And we all brought that movie up a lot. Like We all felt like we were prolonging this ridiculous situation for personal gain. And that kind of gets to my take on the Michael Jackson trial, which is... I think it was a case where a lot of people were trying to exploit a situation for personal gain and quite possibly missing out on the real story, which is who this guy was. Um, I think there are, are good and bad reasons, and some people had better motives than others, and some people had uh, what they thought were noble motives that turned out not to be, but I think it's a very tricky story where people really did somehow miss what was actually going on with Michael Jackson. All right. And a few of those people who... There were a lot of people who wanted a lot of things and whose motives got very confused. We had a prosecutor, Tom Sneddon, who was really on a vendetta to get Michael Jackson, who considered Michael Jackson his white whale because Michael Jackson had avoided prosecution earlier in 1993 um, in another case. Um, Tom Sneddon has such a vendetta going with Michael Jackson that Michael Jackson, on his album History, wrote a song called Dom Sneddon, basically just taking the name Tom Sneddon and changing it very slightly. He changed Tom to Dom? He didn't try that hard to disguise Tom Sneddon's name. Was Tom Sneddon involved in the 1993 case? He tried to bring prosecutions against Michael Jackson and was unable to do it, so for it lack never of evidence. never went to court, right? Nothing ever went to court yeah. until 2005. Nothing ever went to criminal court. There was, of course, the settlement with Jordy Chandler, um, the accuser in 1993, who got about $20 million. Wow. Um, so Michael kind of slipped the noose in that one. And- then. We- and so in, in Tom Sneddon, can you describe him for us? Yeah, there's only one actor I can imagine playing Tom Sneddon. I know we usually wait until the casting's till the end, but just to put this in your mind, the only person I can picture doing this is Robert Duvall um, because he has that sense of righteousness and that sense of self-assurance and kind of a, a very masculine anger um, and sort of an Avenger mode. And you think of like all of the different Duval movies where he takes on that role, and that is Tom Sneddon. They don't look that much alike. They kind of have similar foreheads and things like that. Tom Sneddon has white hair and a mustache. But other than that, God, he reminded me a lot of Robert Duvall. Okay. Um, then you have a defense lawyer, Michael Jackson's lawyer, Tom Mesereau, who knows that this is his big moment to become Johnny Cochran. He is the Johnny Cochran of this case, and he has the greatest Perry Mason moment I've ever seen in a courtroom after covering a lot of trials. Oh, do tell. It was spectacular. Uh, Very early in the Michael Jackson case, I went to see Prince, who was on his musicology tour, and Prince was making fun of Michael Jackson. He said, I never got my nose did. Wow. um, Which was pretty clear who he was making fun of. He also was giving interviews at this time saying, if you went back to the 80s and you thought that either 
and someone told you that either me or Michael Jackson was going to be in a lot of sexual trouble, you would never have guessed that it would be. Wow. Yeah. Um, then you have the accuser's family, the Arviso family. Can I ask one question? Yeah. Do you think Tom Mesereau and Michael Jackson were having like a hair off during the, during <laughs> the trial? Um, Michael Jackson has this sort of Prince Valiant haircut um, with very straight black hair. Um, when did Michael Jackson start getting blowouts? Was he doing that before the trial or did he get them for the trial? I think that starts in the late 90s. Okay. Okay. Um, Tom Messero has like the same haircut as Michael Jackson, but it's fuller and, and it's, it's white. Yeah. And it's a shock of white. He has gray hair. I kind of, I very much enjoyed Tom Messero. I think he's a super good lawyer. Um, so then you have the Arvizo family, the family of the accusers. Gavin Arvizo is the boy who accuses Michael Jackson of molesting him. His brother, Star Arvizo, backs him up. Their mother, Janet Arvizo, who through marriage becomes named Janet Jackson. Yeah. Wow. Um, is the worst witness I've ever seen. She scolds the jury. She snaps her fingers at people. She interrupts. We've heard a lot about her snapping her finger at people. I know I've, I remember a juror talking about that. Mm-hmm. Can you explain exactly what happened? She and would, why it was so, you know, consequential, I guess? Well, you're supposed to answer the lawyer who's asking you questions or answer the judge, and she would just sort of talk past both and address the jurors directly and scold them and tell them that they were misunderstanding things and things like that. I mean, it was it was condescending. It was rude. It assumed a lot. She assumed that they didn't believe her almost from the start, I guess. I don't, I don't want to try to get what was going on in her mind, but it's like lawyers always tell you if you're deposed, just say yes or no. Like, don't elaborate. And she would elaborate endlessly and not to her her own benefit or the benefit of her son. And I think that if she'd been a better witness, it's totally possible that Michael Jackson would have ended up behind bars. Um, then you have the Jackson family. All these members of the Jackson family are coming out of the woodwork and, I mean, honestly, exploiting the situation. I remember Joe Jackson. I remember going to a party early on in the case where Joe Jackson was, like, opening a restaurant or something or had invested in a restaurant on the Sundance Strip, which... I guess this is the moment that you... The Sunset Strip? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if something was popping up in Utah. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just this, when your son is on trial for child molestation, is a weird time to promote your business venture, but that's the kind of guy Joe Jackson was. Can you also set the scene and tell us who of the Jackson family was regularly showing up to trial? Like who was at the court every day and who were kind of noticeably, who was noticeably absent? Um, Jermaine Jackson was very present. Joe Jackson was very present. Catherine Jackson was absolutely present. And Janet showed up also. Um, Catherine Jackson showing up is one of the craziest aspects of the trial because a big hunk of the trial was the prosecution showing all of the porn that they had seized from Michael Jackson's house. So imagine all of the weird porn, um, all adult porn, but some of it like kind of niche adult porn um, being trotted out for your mom to see. And it was like endless it went on for so long and one of the the point that they're trying to make was michael jackson was using this porn to um sort of i guess again that word groom the kids right by showing them porn but a lot of reporters were kind of shaking their heads going like look the dude has tons and tons of heterosexual porn like adult heterosexual porn how is this supporting the idea that he molests young boys so it was kind of a split decision on that one i guess and the porn thing is what really, really backfired and resulted in the Perry Mason moment at one point. Um, but just the humiliation of his mom seeing his entire porn collection trotted out was a definite 
wild moment in the trial. Mm. Um, and then you have reporters who are getting a career boost out of this, including me. This was the most success I ever had as a reporter by far. Um, it was a bit of a blank check to cover it. Um, what did what award did you win? <laughs> um, I, I Linda Deutsch and I received the AP's uh, California Nevada Story of the Year for our coverage of the Michael Jackson trial. Um, which is it's just a diamond shaped glass. <laughs> Trophy, a, if you will. A diamond-shaped glass trophy that I'm very proud of that I think is in the basement of our place. I think it's in the basement in the storage unit somewhere. Yeah. But uh, I, my favorite part about this award, as you know, is that it's shared between the states of Nevada and California. That, California can't even get its own damn AP award. I, I consider the, the Nevada aspect of it the silver lining from the silver state. Oh, well put. <laughs> I mean, what story in Nevada was going to be bigger than the Michael Jackson trial that year? I know, but it sort of cheapens California's status. I don't feel that way. I think they're both great states. They just like tag it in there. Why didn't they put Nevada with like Arizona? I like Arizona too. I would have been even more, if it would have been like the Southwestern best story. But also, I mean, was there a bigger story that year than the Michael Jackson case? I definitely didn't win a national AP award. That, so, oh, are you bitter? No, I'm not. I'm wow, just bitter. <laughs> anyway, Dude, you got your diamond glass shaped trophy. I, I also want to say the AP, the editors, and everybody was very, very responsible and very conscientious throughout this. So if I say anything on here that sounds like I'm treating it lightly or not taking any aspect of this um, intensely seriously, um, it, it's kind of my uh, trying to joke through a awful situation mm -hmm. and the ap handled it really responsibly so yeah, i just want no, to be clear I, about that i don't i don't doubt that it, it was a big opportunity for a lot of people and there were also a lot of reporters who'd been written writing about it for years um marine orth at vanity fair who's has written some absolutely iconic stories um diane diamond uh who spent years and years really focused on michael jackson a lot of people for whom this was the moment. This was like Diane Diamond wasn't on hard copy, was she? Uh, I believe she was Court TV. Oh, okay. And she would later go on to cover Gavin Arvizo's wedding, which was a couple of years ago. Huh. For Daily Beast. Oh, interesting. Wow, I think that was supposed to just be this meets this. Yeah. Um see. and it got way out of hand. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um You're a little verbose. But as it, the kids say. It gets us into some key scenes. Okay. Uh, and that's, that is our next segment? It is. Let's see if we can stick to it. Sorry. Okay. So there are a few things that I really think need to be in this story. Um, one is Michael Jackson dancing on top of his car after one of the very first court appearances. We all remember that. We all remember him sort of tentatively standing there like, should I be doing this? Did he actually dance? Okay. Or was he standing there like a little fragile bird that could blow away <laughs> in his silk pajama bottoms? Michael Jackson, who is like a fragile bird because he's six feet tall and about 120 pounds um, and looked more and more fragile as the trial went on, gets on top of his car to wave to all the fans who wait for him outside of the Santa Maria courthouse every day. And then he like starts to make a couple of moves. And I'm pretty close to him at that point. And you can see him on his face kind of going like, should I do this? Like, is this a bad move? But he like keeps doing it like very small dance moves. But he's very, very graceful and athletic, even in very small movements. So I think it's not unfair to say he's dancing on top of his car. Okay. What kind of car was it? Um, I believe it was a black limo. Okay. If I'm remembering right. 
You also have to show the scene of the mother lecturing and scolding jurors because that is one of the moments that this case starts to fall apart. Oh, definitely. Um, this also gets into who I think could be... We talked for a long time about whether there is a purely sympathetic character in the Michael Jackson case. Um, I don't think it's her. Yeah. Because she has this history of accusations that she's a grifter and that she's trying to get close to celebrities to get money from them and exploiting her kids to get money. So she's like a troubling figure as a protagonist. But I think prosecutor Ron Zonin, who is the number two to Tom Snedden, he didn't really ask for this case. He didn't try to... Um, he's doing his job, basically. Is I don't he think he's on Chris an, Darden? An I think he's kind of the Chris Darden of this thing. Okay. Yeah, he seems like a very fundamentally decent guy. I think all the prosecutors were fundamentally decent guys, but I think Zonin is the fundamentally decent guy who kind of didn't ask for this. He's just a solid mid-career prosecutor doing his best, and I find him pretty sympathetic. So I think you could see all this through his eyes. Um, and you can definitely see his disappointment as he's trying watching the case fall apart with the mom scolding the jurors. Um, another key moment, really the low point for Michael Jackson, is the porn collection. This yeah. is where you're just like, oh, God, this is awful. It, why doesn't he just plead guilty just to make this end? And then there's the total reversal. This is the Game of Thrones moment where the really bad thing turns into a really good thing for Michael Jackson. There is a moment when Tom Messero is cross-examining Star Arvizo, who is the brother of the boy accusing Michael Jackson. And he shows him a porn magazine. I have the transcript right here. And Ooh. I'm just going to read part of this transcript. Wow. Do you want to do do go back and forth? Um, you can read it. All right. Unless uh, you want me to. Um, it might be hard to pass it back and forth in our studio. You can come over here. You can come sit by me. Who do I get to be? You will play... You, I'll do it if I get to be Mesereau. You get to be Mesereau. Okay. okay. So you turn your microphone. All right. Okay. All right. So... I might be able to win the California Nevada um, Emmy Award for this. And it appears to be a blonde woman lifting up her shirt, correct? Yes. And it appears to be a blonde woman who's exposing her breasts, right? Yes. And she appears to be wearing a dark pair of shorts, right? Yes. Before you testified yesterday, you looked at that photograph with Prosecutor Snedden, correct? Yes. You told Prosecutor Snedden that those are the magazines that you had seen at Neverland, right? Yes. You told Prosecutor Snedden that Michael Jackson had showed you those magazines, right? Yes. Michael Jackson never showed you that magazine, barely legal, did he? What? Michael Jackson never showed you that magazine, barely legal, did he? He did show us. He did? Yes. Well, Star, did you look at the date of the magazine? It's August of 2003, is it not? Well, I never said it was exactly that one. And that is when things fall apart because they had already left Neverland when that issue came out. Dang. So that was a very, very bad moment for them. It's That's really, that's some trickery right there. Yeah, and Mesereau like walked him right into it. And that wasn't the only thing he walked him into. I mean, there were just awful moments of making this young kid contradict himself. Wow. And similar things happened with a lot of the witnesses. I mean, Mesereau was very good at that. Ooh. And I remember just seeing that and thinking, oh God, this thing is over. 
Um, another moment that I think has to be there and I think could be a framing device for the entire story. There was a rap party for all of the reporters who covered the trial. Um, everybody got together and I won't say where this was, but everybody went to a house in the Hollywood Hills that was owned by one of the people who also covered the trial and just like partied at the end of it. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about a different party that you went to. What was that party? The party at... Oh, Neverland? Yeah. Okay. Um, after... Okay, can, I, can we just take a brief pause? Yeah. You've been to Neverland Ranch. Yeah. I just wanted that to sink in. On the day that Michael Not Jackson... Not as a little boy, though. <laughs> I hope. On the day that Michael Jackson danced on top of the car, uh, his people invited everybody, all of the fans, back to Neverland. And even though I wasn't a fan as a reporter, I also went to Neverland and it was crazy. What were, what did you see at Neverland Ranch? First, the Nation of Islam at that point was doing security for Michael Jackson because there was a sense that he was getting a raw deal, Mm -hmm. um, basically from the white media, the white prosecutors. And so Nation of Islam guys are there wearing their, first, there's a real Disneyland vibe to the whole thing. Um, there's a lot of pictures of Peter Pan, there's beautiful gardens, there's a big clock. Um, it's very, I mean, it's Neverland Ranch. Yeah. Um, and then you have these guys who are dressed in bow ties and it's a very jarring thing because you think that if there's going to be somebody dressed in like a suit and a tie, it's going to be Mickey Mouse. And instead it's the nation of Islam. That is so strange. It was unexpected. It was very weird. Did, um, did you meet bubbles? I did not meet any animals. I don't remember any animals being there. You also asked about food at one point. I don't yeah. remember eating anything, but I do remember going into a lot of rooms, um, including his video room, which was basically like a blockbuster video, uh, just tons of movies on the shelves, mostly Disney style movies. Uh, there was a movie, fu- there was a room full of mannequins and I'm not going to get the exact people right, but I remember like sort of a Shirley Temple, Charlie Chaplin vibe, like the Marilyn Monroe, like those types of golden age yeah. Celebrities, like mannequins done up like them. But not mannequins, more like figurines, right? Full size. Full size? Yeah, but mostly to like show off the clothes. I mean, it wasn't like a creepy... It was. Oh, a, so it, it was a magazine wearing like a Shirley Temple a mannequin. dress. Yeah, that kind of stuff. It was as uncreepy as a room full of mannequins huh. could be. The one thing I really remember is there was someone who I think had... Um, I think was a burn victim. Um, and he was playing air hockey, if I remember correctly, in the arcade. There was a amazing arcade. The arcade was one of the best wow. things at Neverland. And this was so on brand. They were playing Eminem, but all of the curse words were beeped out. Oh, my Lord. So they like would play rap music, but they would play clean versions of like the most filthy rap songs. And there was a door to your left when you walked in, and that was the door to the wine cellar. And the wine cellar would later become very important because it was like a secret wine cellar under the arcade. And it was suggested that Michael was getting the kids drunk down in the wine cellar. The defense would say, no, no, the kids actually let themselves down in the wine cellar. Oh. We learned so much detail about Michael Jackson's life. We learned that the password, the universal um, code to get into doors at Neverland was 1849. The code to get into Michael Jackson's bedroom was 1960. I mean, the level wow. of specificity. I can't believe you remember those. It's in the transcripts. The level of specificity. The level of specificity about his life was insane. Did you go on any rides when you were at Neverland Ranch? I did not go on any rides. Okay. Um, so you didn't meet Bubbles. You didn't go on any rides. No. I didn't go on the line. Was Blanket there? Blanket was not there, although Blanket was living there at the time. What 
extra squeezed orange juice tidbit can you give us? Okay. I met Michael Jackson twice. Okay. Very early in the trial, Michael Jackson's lawyer asked for a moment of personal privilege. And everybody in the courtroom looked at each other like, what is a moment of personal privilege? That's That's not a real legal term, correct? (laughs) No. Okay. So the judge was like, what? And the judge, who was great, the judge was like a recovering AA guy who was very um, disciplined and like trying to keep control over this thing and was very patient and excellent with everybody involved, calls them up. And then he's like, oh, okay, I get it. And so me and another reporter like look at each other like personal privilege. And we both like go for the men's room right away. Um, because we're guessing like, where were you during the trial? Like, where were you observing? Were you in the courtroom? Sometimes I was in the courtroom. Sometimes I was in the overflow room. Oh, okay. Watching on like a screen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so this day I was actually in the courtroom and I got up, me and another reporter got up and went to the bathroom and we just washed our hands for like five minutes. And then the door opens and standing in the doorway is six feet tall, very, um, broad shouldered, thanks to shoulder pads, Michael Jackson and his two guards. And it's probably the first time in a thousand years Michael Jackson has used a public restroom. I mean, this guy is an absolute superstar. Right. Mm-hmm. So he sort of stands there like, huh, what do I do now? And his guards are like, uh, can you guys, uh, uh, like, because they know they can't kick us out of a public restroom. Like, yeah, it's not and theirs. I mean, Michael Jackson's probably not going to use a urinal. Well, I'll tell you that. Um, you used a urinal? No, no, no. Um, oh. So my whole thing is to get a quote or an interview or something with Michael Jackson. Right. So they say, guys, can you like take off? And so Michael Jackson goes into a stall. And I hand my number to one of the bodyguards and go, hey, can you give this to him if he wants to do an interview? I'm from, you know. Um, and he's like, sure. And they like sort of appreciate that we're leaving and yeah. giving him his space. And then I do something very weird, which is call out to Michael Jackson. We'll be fair. Meaning like, if you call us, we'll right. be fair. But he doesn't know that I've handed his bodyguard a piece of paper. Yeah. So Michael Jackson just thinks some random reporter has volunteered. We'll be fair. And from the stall, Michael Jackson goes, thank you. <laughs> is that your impression of Michael Jackson? That was how he sounded that day. The next time I met him was a very, and like there were many times I like shouted questions to him and he answered, but I'm not counting that. Right. Um, the next time was, there's this one court date that almost no one shows up for because it's like a bunch of really minor motions that are not that important. And Michael Jackson is just sort of hanging out. One thing I should clarify, there's a gag order. They're not allowed to talk about anything. We're not allowed to talk to anybody about anything of consequence in the case. So we'll call out questions to Michael and he'll give like very vague answers. Like, how are you feeling? Great. Are you optimistic? Yes. Things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so this day, Michael is standing up at the front of the courtroom. I'm also in the courtroom. There's no one else around. Uh, the oddness of seeing Michael Jackson every day, I guess, has worn off. And he's just standing a few feet in front of me. And he's, again, moving around very gracefully, very athletically, just as he walks around the courtroom. And I noticed that this day he's wearing, like, kind of like a tuxedo jacket with, like, the shoulder pads um, and sort of like the captain's epaulets. Is that how you say that? Epaulets. Epaulets. Yeah. Um, he's got like a string of Christmas lights across his chest, like sort of going across his like torso. Beating, you mean? No, they're like, they look like lights. They look like actual Christmas lights that you would hang on a tree. They're not huge, but like little lights. Are they electric? They look like they would have lit up. Like <laughs> if you'd had a battery, they look like they would have lit up. Like they were different colors. And then he's got 
And then he's got like I swear, I think your memory is filling you. But he, if he, this jacket exists, that's damn. not the jacket. That's a chain. That's like a piece of jewelry. Oh, it's an accessory. Yeah, that's an accessory that is under the jacket. Um, and there's a little animal on the end of it, and I'm really fixated on the animal. Like I'm staring at it, and I'm like, yeah. "What's the name of that? Like, is that an? Is that?" And I ask Michael Jackson, "I'm like, is that an emu?" And he looks down at it, like it's the first time he's ever seen it. And he like kind of throws up his hands and he looks at me and he goes, I don't know, man, my wardrobe guy does it for me. Wow. Did he talk in a regular tone? He said it exactly like that. Like wow. Like the most normal So tone. like the high-pitched tone was gone. It was like, I don't have to play the Michael Jackson role right now. And this was also the point when I developed kind of a criteria for whether you're covering a ridiculous case. If you have to call in, because back in these days we would call into the desk and they would write the story back at the office. Yeah. Um, we would dictate a lot by phone. So one of the jobs was you had to call in every morning and see what Michael Jackson was wearing. Wow. And if you're covering a case where you have to always say what the person is wearing, you're covering a ridiculous case. Yeah. Uh, good point. But every day it was like, okay, today Michael Jackson is wearing like a tuxedo jacket, um, pajama pants, uh, black slippers. And they'd be like, oh, we saw it on CNN. We're fine. Don't worry. We got it. Wow. It, it was just so weird. Um, he was often wearing pajama pants because he was hospitalized numerous times during the case um, for back problems or flu-like symptoms or whatever. And often on a Sunday when I thought I was done, I'd have to like rush to the hospital because that might be the day that Michael Jackson died. To the point where when Michael Jackson did die in 2009, I was like, no, he didn't actually die. This is just another thing. Like He goes to the hospital all the time. Don't worry. Everybody's freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a couple scenes in there. Um, there's also, there's also in the background, um, Michael Jackson's family is plotting all this time to help him escape to Bahrain. Ah, oh, so glorious. If he gets busted, he's going to flee to Bahrain. I'm not sure how he's going to do that, um, between conviction and sentencing, but that's the plan. Wow. It's going to be like wild, wild country where they tried to get their like guru back to India. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Bahrain is where the king pays superstars like millions of dollars to sing for him privately, right? I think so. That sounds right. I think that's right. I hope I'm not profiling if the, we, like the charming country of Bahrain, but I don't think I am. If we leave it in, um, it's true. Okay, deal. Or we forgot to check. All right. Um, we're definitely not getting invited to the Bahrain Film Festival. I'm fine with that. Um then we have the subplot of Ron Zonin falling in love with a witness in the case. Mm. Um, he says that they started dating after she testified, um, but she's a lovely woman who is a friend of the Arvizo family who uh, was kind of a mentor to gather and helped him become a stand-up comedian. Um, wow. When he was dealing with cancer, when Michael Jackson first met him, Michael Jackson brought him back to uh, Neverland like to, under the, under the uh, I don't know what word I should use, his rationale was that this kid was battling cancer and he was going to do something nice for him. Um, but Gavin was also involved in a program where he would um, learn to be a stand-up comedian. And that's oh, cool. that was sort of his first introduction to all of these famous people, how he met George Lopez, for example. Um, he met Chris Tucker. Wow. And the accusation was that he was that his family was trying to get money off of all of them, basically exploiting his cancer to do that. Yikes. Yeah. Um, which didn't help their case. Yeah. Uh, I think you've also got to have the moment when a woman releases a white dove for each not guilty count. 
10 doves and all. No doubt about it. Um, pretty great moment. And I think you've got to have the scene of Prince making fun of him. Yeah, sure. It's yeah. a little unexpected. Um, and I think those are, those are the key moments in this thing. I like it. The overall arc, arc of it is people um, fixating on all the wrong things, like doing kind of what Michael Jackson always wants you to do, which is pay attention to the spectacle and not pay attention to what's at the heart of it. Yeah, he's a magician in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The white doves are kind of a perfect metaphor for that. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. There's your theme. <laughs> um, can I give my slight twist on this that we Absolutely. discussed? Yeah. So one of the things I find really fascinating about Michael, and I'm curious how you felt about this, because you were really right in that sweet spot in terms of age. I mean, I think you're about the same age as James Safechuck, or yeah. thereabouts, mm-hmm. um, is his style and his kind of like how he cultivated his style. It was so unique. And he created this image that was completely bizarre, mm-hmm. but like from the jerry curl mm-hmm. the, to the, to the leather jackets. And then, you know, the, the costuming, um, even his face and his voice and his affect mm-hmm. was completely manufactured. Mm-hmm. And it made me really think about, like, where did that... What was his inspiration? Where did that come from? Why did he want to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it made me think about other stars who've done stuff like that, who've kind of cultivated these really unique and interesting um, images. We talked about, like, there's the Ziggy Starts, There's, like, Ziggy Stardust. There's, you know, Madonna. Um, you know, there, Lady Gaga's a more recent one. I think um, of like Boy George, even Boy like George. Springsteen, even right. Elvis yeah. Presley for sure. Elvis Presley, Dolly Parton, you know, like where, what's their source, their inspiration source? Why are they doing it? Is it a mask? Um, and I, I thought you could almost do a series in and of itself about the, the cultivation of these different images for, for various celebrities. So I love so. this. We're breaking new ground. Typically, we talk about a narrative feature or a narrative TV show yes. that should be based on a true story. You are talking about a whole other thing, which I think is way more commercial than anything we're talking about, which is yeah. like a kind of docu-series examining each of these people's style. And it could be a docu-series. I mean, it could be like, you know, a true Hollywood story, sort of. Or it could be like... But about their look. About their look and their image and like the inspiration behind it. And like the the psychology behind it, honestly, like what some of this is not healthy as we know. Um, yeah, you know, covering something. I love Dolly Parton, but what's up girl. You friend? Know what? Dolly Parton just, I just saw an interview where Dolly Parton was talking to Barbara Walters about that mm-hmm. from like probably early eighties where she said, look, I know how to be normal. Like I know how to dress tastefully and everything like that. I'm trying to have fun and be me. And I make more jokes about myself than anybody does. Yeah, no doubt exactly about it. But like, why? You know, I think that's I think that's what's interesting. We well, you know the other awesome Dolly Parton story. No, um, she said that's a little she, vague. That's a vague question. She said she went into town, and she saw this woman who was all dressed up and wearing like lots of makeup and had teased out hair and outrageous outfits. And she said, "Oh, who's that?" And her mother said, "Dolly, don't look at her. That's the whore." And she goes, "Oh, I want to be a whore." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Uh, you go girl (laughs) but yeah it could be a docuseries or it could be like episodic it could be something like you know capturing their image in one 
episode, and then you you feature someone else next episode. Yeah, I'm um, all about it. It doesn't have to be a docuseries necessarily. So uh, that was my idea, spinoff of this, but I know yours is focused more exclusively on the trial, the 2005 trial. Yeah, and this actually reminded me when we talked a little bit about like the broad theme of slut shaming. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that the other sympathetic figure I, I can think of in this, obviously Catherine Jackson, his mother. Totally. Um, obviously, all of the people who are victimized and aren't able to tell the truth, including Wade Robeson. Um, but also, his sister Janet mm-hmm. is kind of a bit of a pariah at this point, coming out to support her brother, but she's just been totally shamed over the Super Bowl nudity moment that wasn't real nudity, but was almost nudity that everybody blames her for, even though Justin Timberlake did it. So she's kind of coming out of um, a private time in her life to put herself out there in a very unpleasant and uncomfortable yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, and really, she had more to lose than any other Jackson. I mean, she had a, yeah. a, a career of her own, a successful career at that yeah. point. And, um, I mean, aligning herself with Michael wasn't exactly going to help her at no that way. point. Um, so yeah, she took a risk. Yeah, so I do think she was really sympathetic in this, too. Yeah. Um, should we get into development where we sure. talk about how we'd actually make this? Yeah, let's do it. Um, we First, casting Michael Jackson. Oh, dear God. Um, absolute minefield. Oh, Lordy. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. All right. There's one person I, who... I, go I ahead. mean, I almost feel like it has to be an unknown because I feel like... And you have to have the best makeup artist in the world. Okay, I agree. There is We've one... We've got to have the makeup artist from Vice. Okay. So that's who I'm casting. First, I totally think this should be an FX show, and I really just want the American I mean, Crime Story be, team to do it. It's Ryan Murphy, right? I mean... I want them to use the exact same team yeah, that, did, that did OJ. Yeah. Um, but with one addition from the FX family, I thought when Donald Glover did Teddy Perkins... Oh, my Lord. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. That's... <laughs> if Donald Glover were to put a, a slight variation on the Teddy Perkins makeup, which was yeah. basically Michael Jackson, let's be honest, and were to play Michael Jackson, I think that would be absolutely incredible. Because he's also a very good actor. He's so a he, great actor. Yeah, he could, he could pull it off. And he's a singer. He's great. Yeah. I think he's the Donald only person. Donald Glover is, the, is a really good choice, actually. Possibly the only person who could do it. The other person who could maybe do it, yeah. and I don't know why he would, is, again, a lot of makeup The weekend, Because... His voice is like all of the good aspects of Michael Jackson's yeah. voice, and he has none of the baggage of Michael Jackson. It's, I mean, that's a doozy. That's really hard to yeah. play Michael Jackson. I like Donald Glover. I could get behind that. Um, for Ron Zonin, the prosecutor, yes. we said he's like kind of a mid-career guy, um, has kind of like a just tough work ethic to him, but isn't a total, he isn't like a thuggish work ethic. He's right. just like a... He has a little bit of a just lunchbox go to work thing to him. And we both thought of Chris Bauer, who played yeah. Frank Sabatka on season two of The Wire. Yeah. And is I now, love him. He's excellent on the deuce. That yeah. was your idea. It was my idea. Um, and so when you say we, you actually mean me. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. That is totally your idea. I my, have another one too, though. But I pick Sabatka. We're going to stick with Sabatka. But my backup is Michael Chiklis. Great one. He's not as big as Michael Chiklis. He's like a smaller guy, but... I don't think Michael Chiklis is a big guy. He just seems like burly. He uh, seems like a big yeah, muscular Yeah, but he could, he could work out. Um, he could put on the uh, aluminum suit and do some laps. He'd have to... Oh, you mean get smaller? Yeah. Okay. 
The other guy I've got, because I just wanted to play everything in every movie, is Ben Mendelsohn. Okay. Or, He's a little threatening. Okay. And he got some really gnarly teeth caps, which really freaking blow my brain. Like, I'm not into it. He's okay. like, I've, he's I've taken him down a notch. <laughs> You're speaking for yourself now, not on behalf of the podcast. <laughs> Let's be super clear about that. Uh, love Ben Mendelsohn. Think he's great. Don't know what you're talking about with the teeth caps. Uh, well, Google image, bro. <laughs> the last one I've got is Gary Oldman. You, yeah, okay. You, but you're being a fanboy now because Gary Oldman is your, is your all time. You know what? Actually, I'm going to change that. Gary Oldman, I went for Tom Mesereau. Okay, now we're talking. Okay. Yeah, much I, better. I like, it, it's been a while since Gary Oldman has played like an outlandish character. You know who would be good for uh, Tom Mesereau too, actually? Who? Richard Gere. Oh, they do kind of look alike. Yeah. And also, no one's ever going to be mad if they're played by Richard Gere. No. Tom <laughs> Mesereau's like, can I get a producer credit, bitches? They're like, but you're portrayed as a horrible person. That's okay. I'm played by Richard Gere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Thank you. Um, and I think that covers the major characters. All right. Um, directors. Who's going to play Bubbles? Bubbles will be played by himself. Bubbles is still alive. He is? Do you listen to the uh, How Did This Get Made podcast? Um, uh, sporadically. It's Paul Scheer, Jason yeah. Manzoukas, June, Diane Raphael. Yes. Um, they did a deep dive and they found out that Bubbles is still oh alive. Oh my God. So Bubbles can play himself? If Bubbles agrees. I mean, Bubbles probably won't agree to do anything that impugns his master. I mean, probably Bubbles is going to make all these requests to the script that's going to soften the portrayal of Michael Jackson. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. But I think, I think like there's a moral to all of this, and it is really keep your eye on the ball. Don't get distracted by the razzle-dazzle. Don't get distracted by your personal career gain. Don't get distracted by all of the fame totally. and fortune and magic pixie dust. Everybody really... Myself included, although I was working for the AP, like it wasn't like we were writing these yeah. tabloidy stories, um, should have really focused harder on, I honestly don't have any problem with the stories I wrote. No. But I think collectively. Um, because you were also looking at it from, did they prove the case beyond reasonable doubt? And they didn't. They didn't. So I think that, you know, was your challenge as a reporter. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I mean, I think from a public perspective, people didn't want to believe it. You know, they just didn't want to believe it. And I, I actually wanted to ask you as a, a kind of a boy growing up in that time when yeah. Michael Jackson was superstar icon, yeah. I was like a pinch younger than you. Yeah. Was he this younger. like God icon that he's been like, did you, did you think that he was on a different level, like a different plane than some other musicians? Um, I started to like him more when I was in college, when I was in like elementary school and junior high and stuff like that. I think I kind of resented him and was annoyed by him huh. because girls loved him. Yeah. And it was like, here's this guy who's kind of the opposite of me. Like right. there's no way I'm going to be Michael Jackson. He's just like different from everybody else on earth. Yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, Bruce Springsteen, you could, like, learn to play guitar. You could, like, be in his universe of doing what he did, kind of. I mean, you couldn't really. But it wasn't like, I'm an alien from space who dances and sings angelically and writes these songs and also dresses incredibly. It was just, like, so out of the lane of what other guys did. So, I mean, we all did 
and this is just like 80s homophobia, but I mean, it was so common to hear like, I pledge allegiance to the flag and Michael Jackson is a, like. I've never heard that before. Really? That was all over my school. Like, boys hated Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like, at my elementary school. I think we got more into him as we got older and started to appreciate, like, what he was doing. Yeah. But I was definitely more of a Prince guy Mm -hmm. early on. Um, Huh. And... I don't know. I didn't really envy Michael Jackson. I started to really like appreciate Michael Jackson with Man in the Mirror. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. I don't claim to speak for everyone, but I also, I didn't have any friends who were like huge. I did have friends. Period. I did have friends, but I didn't have any friends who were like huge Michael Jackson fans. Right. Yeah. But girls loved Michael Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I hear you. All right, then. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed this one, um, please give us five stars on iTunes. Recommend it to someone else who you like. Subscribing to this will allow us to keep going strong. Um, We want you to be able to find us when we come out with new episodes because we do it kind of erratically sometimes. But that's going to change. That's about to change. Mm -hmm. we got a lot of ideas in the pipeline. we got a lot of ideas in the pipeline. You don't want to miss them. Yeah. So give them how many stars? Five. Five stars. And uh, recommend it to a friend. Or five, as Michael would say. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Very, Val was very insensitive. <laughs> That's how we talked. Wow. Do your best, Michael, impression.